Welcome back to the second episode of Podverb, the podcast where we discuss creation, evolution, and everything in between. If you're joining us in this episode, I would encourage you to listen to the episode prior to this one because we started a series where we're looking at creation and the Sabbath. And joining me today is Dr. Timothy Standish. Dr. Tim, welcome. I'll ask you to introduce yourself to our audience. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Uh, I am an Australian. I was uh, born in Australia, at least, but I actually grew up in Asia. So uh, my friends growing up uh, belonged to different faiths. I had Muslim friends, uh, Hindu friends, Buddhist friends, and of course, some Christian friends as well. I've, uh, for a lifetime, been fascinated by the different views about reality that people have. Now, I'm not just interested in worldviews and things like that and how they make people uh, see reality in different ways. I'm also interested in the world itself. And by trade, I am a biologist. My big downfall in life is I'm actually interested in everything. It, uh, it works out well sometimes, but I can tell you that uh, it didn't always work out well in school when I wasn't concentrating on what I was supposed to concentrate on. But I guess it makes you a more rounded human being. That's the, that's the good part of it. There you go. I thought it was just eating too much that was making me well-rounded. But the- <laughs> <laughs> so, so it seems there's more to it than just the food. <laughs> Yes. All right. So thank you for joining us. And you see, I, I, I enjoy that you have cross-continental experiences, and I am from Africa. So we bring a world of diversity to the table as we're discussing our topics for today. Yes. You know, I kind of wish I could be there with you in Africa. It, it is such a beautiful continent, and of course, full of fascinating creatures. And and plants as well. It, it, it is it, it is indeed. And one thing that you'll notice is wherever people are in this world, and wherever they are not, like Antarctica, you have reason to celebrate the beauty of the natural world. Exactly, the world is a beautiful place. I, I should tell you that my uncle just went to Antarctica um, just a few months ago. And uh, he cruelly sent me a video he made of his time there. And now, of course, I can know no happiness myself without going (laughs) to Antarctica. I don't know whether that's really going to happen, but, uh, you know, a man can dream, I guess. (laughs) And for those of you in our audience who are listening to this, we're recording this at the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you're listening to this at a future time, probably it is now history. But he cannot go there because of COVID-19 and because of all else that he has on his plate right now. Exactly. And and I'm also restrained by poverty. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So are you ready to to tackle our first question? I'm as ready as I will be. Okay. So this is building up from our last episode. We have a question. Can I keep the Sabbath and believe in evolution? If you remember well, in our last episode with Dr. Ronnie Nalin, we talked about how the Sabbath is linked with origins. So can I keep the Sabbath and believe in evolution? What's your take on that? Well, like so many things in life, it's really a matter of how you define things. Uh, really, you can keep any day of the week, I guess, in any, in any way that you want to keep it. 
but um, uh, Catholics keep Sunday, uh, Muslims keep Friday, and uh, and uh, Jews and some Christians uh, keep the Sabbath holy. It seems like an ironic thing to do if you believe in evolution. Uh, but bear in mind, there are questions of definition there as well, because I think uh, those of us who believe the biblical record of history do believe that there has been change over time. I don't believe that uh, the human beings uh, like myself today are identical to the way Adam and Eve were. They obviously lived for centuries. I wish I could live for centuries, but I'm not going to. So there has been change over time. Um, what we're really talking about here, I believe, is in that materialistic belief that somehow or other there is a mechanism out there in nature that allowed it in the ancient past to somehow or other produce living things as we see them today. So uh, that doesn't seem to be a good basis for keeping the Sabbath uh, day holy. Clearly, it wouldn't be done as an act of worship to the creator God of the Bible. But you know what? Anybody who's an evolutionist who wants to come to church with me and uh, participate in the worship of the creator God would be more than welcome. And in fact, I have taken an occasional evolutionist, I guess you would call them, to church with me on the Sabbath day. I think uh, what you mentioned about definitions is very important because for some people, they would consider microevolution as evolution de facto. And they will say, you know, I believe in microevolution, so therefore I'm an evolutionist and I do keep the Sabbath. Whereas some other people will think microevolution is not really evolution in the strictest sense. And it's something that can be observed by everyone. And they, they will say microevolutionists don't count as evolutionists. So the aspect of uh, definitions really does come in. And I do see no hindrance for anyone, whether you believe in macroevolution or in microevolution. There's really no reason that will stop you from coming to church like you said. Though, of course, if you go into the theology of it, there can be some friction there. Well, yes, you know, look, when people disagree with one another about things, it's it becomes sometimes quite difficult to be tolerant and welcoming. And yet, as Christians, we are taught that, uh, you know, <clears throat> even the least of these God's brethren, we are to uh, treat with respect. People who believe differently than we do are still children of God. And as a consequence of that, there are certain uh, requirements of us when it comes to treating one another. But uh, that's, that's really a whole big a big topic. Now, obviously, if you do believe in evolution, there is no way that you can realistically believe that all people were created equal, for example. The whole point of evolution is that there are inequalities, natural, unavoidable inequalities between different people, and some are more fit than others. Shockingly, the African continent has seen some of the most horrifying uh, exhibitions of that philosophy. 
I personally believe that colonialism was a very mixed bag, but uh, you see it play out uh, particularly in, in, in a very clear way in German colonies leading up to the First World War and uh, some of that philosophy that we see gelling into the Nazi philosophy, interestingly enough. It was well in play beforehand, and there were some terrible things done in Africa. And by the way, I don't want to just point the finger at Germans. I am of German descent as well. And uh, uh, let's just put it this way. We're all very human. We're all fallen. We're all very dependent on God's grace. But central, the central theme of the Bible is that we are all created equal. And that is one of the things that we can celebrate on the Sabbath. And, and one of those things that simply cannot arise naturally out of evolution, an evolutionary view of the origin of human beings. I do resonate with that. And probably it's a, it's an episode that we can put up at another time because it also ties into what we are experiencing at the time of recording this. There are protests around the world, you know, about inequality. Mm-hmm. And, um, it can be a question to be asked. Is it possible that there is a link to the aspects of creation and evolution in these inequalities that we that are stirring these protests that we're seeing? Well, they started in America and they spread out to other countries of of the world. And I would also say, it's not just inequalities as a result of race, even within races. I am right now in Africa, and I'm in a, I, and I am working in a place where there is a minority group and i come from the majority group though of course my mother is from the minority group so i am mixed but i do see some element of friction that is there between people who come from these two groups so it's not just an issue of race now we could call it tribalism and so on and this is just part of our fallen human nature exactly human beings are not by nature nice and that is why we need to be born again. <laughs> we, need, we need the transformation that only comes by surrender to the will of God who made us and can create a new heart in us. That's true. Um, you know, there's a related question that also came in. Can I keep a Sunday Sabbath as a creationist? What's your take on that? Again, you know, um, there, there are some subtleties in this, but the simple answer is yes. I have plenty of wonderful Christian friends who worship on Sunday and not the seventh day that God designated as his Sabbath. They are sincere. I really hope that we all wind up in heaven together. However, there is an irony to it as well. Because obviously, if you believe that God is the creator and God has given you a sign, uh, that's, that's what God himself called it. If you look at Exodus 31, you start about verse 16 or so. He uh, talks about there, there where, he, where the, the um, fourth commandment is repeated and he says it's it's a sign in perpetuity 
So it's not it's not a sign that was done away with at the cross or something like that. It's forever this sign, the Sabbath, that we worship the creator God of the Bible. So I believe that, yes, people can be misled. I am sure, by the way, that I don't know everything and that there are going to be plenty of surprises for me when we all get to heaven. But at the end of the day, God, the creator whose activities are recorded in the Bible, asks us to worship on the seventh day of the week to commemorate the creation, to worship him as the creator of all things. So from what I'm hearing you say, you keep a Saturday Sabbath. Yes. In fact, it's actually not a Saturday Sabbath. It's from, is it from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown? Yes, that's that's the way that it is um, explained in the Bible. If you, if you go back to Genesis uh, chapter 1, it talks about the evening and the morning was the first day and so on. And uh, basically what it's uh, laying out there is that the end of a day in the biblical way of reckoning things is the evening. So the end of Friday is Friday evening at sunset. That means the beginning of the seventh day or the Sabbath is Friday sunset. And that goes through to Saturday sunset. And uh, so, yes, that's that's uh, when I choose to worship the Creator as as He specifies in in His Word. Okay, so at least that clarifies there's a difference between a Saturday Sabbath and the Sabbath that is specified in Genesis. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's um, go on. There's another question that we received: What if God created over millions of years? Can we possibly keep the Sabbath? We can possibly keep the Sabbath, but it is arbitrary. Uh, we do it because, I don't know, we, we think it's a good day to keep, or maybe we do it just um, um, in a sort of blind faith because that's what the commandments say. However, um, the reason that the Bible gives for keeping the Sabbath always involves six days and then the seventh day of rest. Those days are, as we just said, from one evening until the next evening. That's not a million years. <laughs> that's that's 24 hours or pretty close to 24 hours. And uh, so I don't know, you know, there, there are so many so many elements that you can bring into questions like this. If God created over millions of years, what kind of God are we worshiping on the Sabbath? Is he the God who says that he's going to change us in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, uh, which is when he comes, which is what the Apostle Paul tells us? If he can do that, why would he have uh, created over millions of years? And by the way, what does that mean by creating over millions of years? Is it a sort of creation that involves the deaths of billions or even trillions of organisms? If that's the case, what exactly is the connection between death and sin that the Apostle Paul talks about? For example, in Romans 5, he just repeats this idea several times to make sure that we get it straight. But the idea that Adam sinned, and then that was what introduced death into the world. And then 
Jesus Christ, who did not sin, paid the price. He overcame sin, thus overcoming death. And therefore, we remember not just the creation on the Sabbath, but we look forward to the redemption on the Sabbath as well. By acknowledging that God made us, we can then have a reasonable hope of the new creation that is promised in Scripture. I think um, probably what I am reading from this uh, question, the element of time, is tied to what is uh, taught in many schools. Mm. The, you know, when you study geology from a circular perspective, or if you study biology from a naturalistic perspective, you tend to see these long periods of time. And yeah. for many people, you know, it's hard to reconcile the six days of Genesis with um, those millions of years and billions of years that we see in um, biology, geology, and many other fields of the sciences. So there's some people who struggle with the concept of a six-day creation, and they wonder, is this really a thing that can be reconciled with what we see being reported by scientists in powerful journals? So it's something that can cause a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance, you know, as you try to reconcile these two accounts. Yeah, there. This is this is really a very big topic. Uh, the one thing that I would point out is we don't actually see these millions of years. What we do is we interpret data, and some data that we can observe today is well explained in terms of millions and billions of years. Other data are not well explained within that kind of framework. And that's a a very big topic. But let me just sort of illustrate. This is a simplistic illustration, but it just sort of gives you an idea of of what sorts of things you might be looking for. Um, When you look at a living thing, how much does it take to make that living thing not a living thing anymore? You know, with a human being, there you could there are individual proteins, just that little tiny microscopic building block that parts of cells are made out of. If you remove that from the human being, it is not alive anymore. <laughs> they they no longer. Re- or if you remove uh, certain organs, the heart, you know, it's just a small percentage of the whole organism, or the brain, or any number of other things. I mean. Uh, We've all, unfortunately, experienced people who've died. And what the lesson that we can get from that is that all of the parts need to be working. (laughs) Yeah, Um, It is is true that we're remarkably robust, but you really need to have all, all of the parts all at once to have a living thing. That's why millions of years do not help. You know, you still have to have the entire thing together and working in an instant. Um, and then, of course, there is the profound theological problem of the, what was Jesus doing on the cross if 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 there was death before sin? Look, I'm not the first person to think of, the, of this. There are sort of speculations that people come up with, you know, the um some people say well it's a moral influence kind of thing you know he was showing us how much he cared frankly to me they don't really make a lot of sense um you know clyde if you said to me why do you know i'm going to go out and kill myself to show you how much i love you 
I can assure you that I would not consider it to be an act of love towards me. So why would I think that God dying on a cross of all things would be an act of love if it didn't have anything to do with sin and death and that connection there? And rescue, rescuing you from the effects of sin, you know, which, which is the one that brought death to us as human beings. Precisely. I, I personally hope that God, you know, Jesus' death on the cross doesn't mean that I'm destined for an eternity of deaths over, you know, unbelievable amounts of time so that I can somehow or other gradually evolve into something better. I really do want to be changed in an instant. <laughs> I believe the, the creator God of the Bible can do that. Uh, he has the power to raise the dead. He demonstrated that while he was here on earth. I think it's, it's also part of the promises that we see in the New Testament, you know, particularly in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, where he talks about this, you know, how the how the dead will be resurrected and how those who are living when Jesus comes back will be changed in an instant. Yes, there's no indication there that the eternity ahead of us is going to be an eternity of struggle, suffering, and death so that we can slowly get better. Yeah. So this will lead us into the next uh, concept. How will the concept of, this, of a Sabbath rest fit in a progressive creationism narrative? Because I think what we've been talking about really ties into progressive creationism. So how will the concept of a Sabbath rest fit into that whole narrative? Well, my personal belief is that it doesn't fit in there very well. Um, as I've said, there are theories, uh, speculations out there that try to allow for something like this. But the, from from a uh, from the perspective of a scientist, I find progressive creation to be very unsatisfying. The, the theological issues aside, uh, basically, you know, there are certain rules that we follow in science. Uh, for example, we, we say uh, that the simplest explanation is probably the correct one. That's something that we call Occam's razor. And um, and by the way, William of Ockham, who is the guy who's famous for it, wasn't the first one to come up with it. You find it even in the writings of Aristotle. All in addition to that, when I'm looking for a cause for something, what I'm looking for is a cause that is actually sufficient to account for the phenomenon that I'm observing. So when you go with a progressive creation model, what you get is this sort of ad hoc explanation of things. It, it's, it's not one big miracle, which is really what the Bible sort of describes. This. I know there are people who want to define miracles in different ways, and this is a big topic that we won't, we, we just won't go down that road. Yeah. But we have this one big supernatural intervention in the material world during that creation week. So there, there's a universe there. There is not life in that universe, or at least, you know, in this part of the universe. God comes in. God is transcendent. He's, he, uh, he transcends the universe. He's not constrained by it. And he intervenes with things here on the earth. 
It's one big event. Progressive creationism, it's like lots of events. And and when you need one, you just sort of invoke it. It's not what science, from, you know, from a scientific perspective, is very unsatisfying. And it looks like a kind of ad hoc way of kind of keeping God and, and not struggling with that inevitable tension that will always exist between um, human interpretation of, of the data we observe in nature, uh, which you can think of as, you know, one of God's books, and human interpretation of the Bible, which is God's revelation, his, his, his other book. Um, we have imperfect minds. We don't know everything. There are going to be times when we see that tension there. Surely it is better to leave the tension and understand that there is something there that we don't fully understand than it is to just sort of explain it away in, in a, you know, but with a wave of the hand. Oh, yes, there was a creation event. Look at that. There it is in the, I don't know, the Cambrian explosion or something in the, in the geologic column. That's, I don't know, it's very unsatisfying to me. It's, 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 it's a good thing that you brought up the issue of this tension. So many people have struggled with this over the years, even um, since Darwin's time. At the time when his um, new theory, which was actually not very new, was now <laughs> gaining prominence, you know, yeah. um, many people were struggling with this because there were a lot of people that could see the logical uh, foundation of Darwin's conclusions. And, you know, it's shook their faith in what the church was teaching at the time, and they found a middle ground, which we now call theistic evolution. Yes. Is there any way that theistic evolution and the Sabbath can get along? Can this tension be released, you know, in this model that seems to unify creation and evolution? So, first of all, let me define theistic evolution. And that's a difficult thing to do, because Every theistic evolutionist I've had a serious discussion with has seems to have had a different uh, definition going on. But I will define theistic evolution as the idea that God's mechanism for creating life as we know it, including ourselves, was the Darwinian mutation selection mechanism. And so therefore, on a, on a practical level, it would be indistinguishable from materialistic evolution. But instead, somehow though we say no, that you know, sort of yes, God, God did it in some way. Now, bear in mind there are many, many flavors of this, and lots of questions about divine action and other things that I'm not dealing with right now. But let me just say this about theistic evolution. From my perspective, it is perfect because it is utterly immune to data. It is both unscientific, if you define science in materialistic or naturalistic terms, and it is unbiblical. So you can't use biblical data against it and you can't use scientific data 
to test it. It's just there, you know. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you know, it's 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 a weird kind of thing. I personally find it very, very unsatisfying. In fact, it would be about as perfectly unsatisfying an idea as I could imagine. And yet, you know, people people see the promise there of resolving this tension between current scientific interpretations of things and very clear record very very clearly recorded things in the bible but it does that by essentially stepping away from both real science and what i would call real theology as well and uh, you know there are there there are attractive things about it. You know, for a lot of people, it turns God into this sort of, you know, like a jolly old uncle. He's not going <laughs> to do anything bad to you because, well, he doesn't do anything, does he, really? He, do, he, he doesn't. <laughs> That's right. There's no, he's just love. There's no judgment. There's no, uh, you know, none of, none, of, none of those things that uh, um, we, we all fear and rely on God's grace to um, uh, you know see us through. So anyway, yeah. So theistic evolution, obviously, I don't have the most positive attitude towards it. Um, so how does it get along with the Sabbath? I would say that because it's unhinged from everything, I, I don't see it as necessarily being in conflict with Sabbath, but I don't see it as being something that fits with the theological reasons or the the actual you know the 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 very practical um, historical reasons why we would worship on sabbath so the, i'm going to give an answer i guess in a way that is similar to some of the earlier questions yes i believe that a theistic evolutionist can come to church and can uh, worship God to the best of their understanding, but I kind of feel like they're worshiping a different God than I am, and certainly a different God than the God who is revealed in the Bible. That's a that's a very good place to land this plane. We've touched on a number of uh, issues, and I hope our listeners benefited from this conversation. Is there any concluding thought that you would like to share with our listeners before we bring this to an end? I guess that uh, the thought I would like to leave everybody with is this. There are tensions out there, and we are encouraged to see those in a very negative light. But in reality, this is great. What it, what these tensions tell us is we don't know everything. In my life, I go around and uh, visit churches commonly. One of the things I've noticed is every church has somebody in it who knows everything. And uh, that person is the most boring person in the church. <laughs> you know, um, they're horrible to be with. And um, it's okay not to know everything. but as Christians, we do know some things, and we should never abandon those things that are clearly revealed in Scripture and also in nature, by the way. Um, God's wisdom and his power, as the Apostle Paul 
points out revealed there and what he has created. Those things are really clear. So, yeah, you know, there is always more to know. There will always be tension. My favorite text, probably in the entire Bible, is Ecclesiastes 3.11. That's the one that says God created everything beautiful in his time, but don't stop reading there. You go on and you see, but he has put eternity in the heart of man, and we can never figure out the end from the beginning. I am not concerned about going to heaven and having everything figured out in the first, I don't know, 100 trillion years or something. God, who created all things, is infinite. And I believe that there is an infinite, just infinite amount of or number of amazing wonders to discover out there in the creation. I can't wait to continue being a scientist when we're all in heaven together. You know, I can wait for that as well. Thank you, Dr. Tim, for being with us. Well, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, I'm getting the signal that lunch is ready. Yeah, I can I, I can almost hear your tummy rumbling. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I have to I, I need to go I need to go into the other room and make myself more rounded. Yeah. <laughs> No, thank you very, very much. (laughs) Thank you for joining us to the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like in your podcast player of choice. And if you would like to send us your own questions, you can send us a voice message by visiting speakpipe.com slash podverb. That is speakpipe.com slash podverb. You can also write to us at podcast at podverb.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash podverb. Patreon.com slash podverb. Until next time, be blessed. <laughs>